Welcome to the Searching for SaaS podcast, where you'll join Nate and Josh, two founders on very different stages of their businesses. Nate is earlier on his journey and is looking for something to stick, while Josh is in the company building phase. Together, they will geek out on software as a service and share their stories. Let's dive into today's episode. So looks like we got a bunch of new Twitter followers this past week or so. You want to talk about that, Josh? Yeah, so I kind of came up with a little idea after we had the MMVP episode. So yeah, just kind of, I guess, pulling a little bit on the string of, of, of finally wanting to talk about my little, I don't know what you even want to call it, a way to manage outbound emails that I was getting in a, how would I say, a nice way where I didn't feel like a D-bag, well, what do you, that what makes do you, sense. Well, why don't you give us the elevator pitch for it, just so like for people who don't know what it is? Oh, great! Yeah, the whole the whole general idea is I get a ton of these inbound emails that say, "Hey, can you backlink here?" or "Hey, I want to talk to you." And just basically, it's people selling something in some way, shape, or form. You know, sometimes it's with the guise of, "Hey, I see we're in the same industry. I'd like to connect," quote unquote. And you're just like, "Oh, geez, what do you want?" Yeah. So it was a way for me to just initially quickly respond, and I have a, I call it the Josh bot, and I just basically have a cut and paste text that goes to a uh, type form and essentially leads you through a bit of logic and essentially asks you the questions I would probably ask you anyway. So it allows me to feel nice about it with a, a nice reply. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel bad and I, I get to respond and the benefits are I get out of their autoresponder or out of their email sequences. Yep. And you have their information if you do want to follow up with them. Yeah. So I think it, it became a good way to just promote our our podcast a little bit because we talked about the MMVP and then we it was like a proof of an MMVP. And then at the bottom, I even just said, hey, if anyone's interested in this, like, let me know. And I did get a few people. I have like four or five people that said they're interested in a copy or betaing it or whatever. So, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> It's there, there's no real this I, I I need another SaaS like like a pull in the head type of thing right now. So but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't planning on necessarily launching it, but it's interesting. I thought it could help other people. I don't really think it'll go much further, but I'll take it a little next steps and see other stats people gather on it because I think in that Twitter thread I I shared a good amount of stats and like how people responded and response rates and what people selected yeah, yeah. and things like that. So yeah. Twitter is pretty great for that. Eh? You just talk about it, different concepts and stuff like that. Like with your idea, you can kind of get some input from other people. Yeah, I think it's a great place. And we, I think a lot of our, our people, uh, the people that would potentially listen to this are on that, listening to different things like that, getting different inspiration and feedback. And we did gain, yeah, we gained about 10 or 15 followers to our searching for SaaS. Is it the number four that we do? That's right. Searching. Searching the number four SaaS. On right, Twitter. right. And so we got some followers there and I think it's got us maybe a few new listeners. So welcome. Yeah. So if you, if you want to, you know, hang out and chat a little more about the stuff you hear on the podcast, tweet us on Twitter. We'd love to, we'd love to engage there. Yep, definitely. So what'd you have in mind for today, Josh? So today I thought we'd talk a little bit about the state of independent SAS report 2021. So, so just a quick thing is just if people aren't familiar with it, it is a, a report by I trying to, 
I want to say Rob Walling, and but I think it's, if you don't know Rob Walling, runs a community called MicroConf, specifically targeted towards um, smaller independent SaaS founders, things like that. So if you're not aware, they, they collected, I think they have a, well, sorry, they, I think they have a database of, I read over 25,000 contacts, which is pretty impressive. I feel like we're in this small space in the internet, but yet, you know, at other times it can seem quite large, but they had 534 people complete the survey this year. This is the second year of the survey. Um, mm. And it is meant for people currently operating a company that has was generating revenue and charging recurring fees for their software. So SaaS. <laughs> so that's how I read that. I think this is perfectly up our alley in terms of things we're talking about and trying to get Nate his own SaaS. So yeah, did you did you participate in this Nate, or have you you've seen it before at the, this report in past years? Yeah, actually, in preparing for this, I accidentally went through the 2020 version, and it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of overlap between the two. It's pretty neat. I didn't I didn't submit mine in the 2021 report. Did you? I did not, which might come up a couple times during this episode. I realized while kind of reading through it and, and giving my thoughts for us to talk about it today. I did, I actually, I think I participated in the 2021, <laughs> 2020 okay. edition, not to say 2021. So I did not participate <laughs> in this most recent one, but, but yeah, you're right. They did a nice job in the 2021 and where they actually, I think, showed a little bit of differences in how respondents were and some comparing a bit with the previous mm -hmm. report. Yeah, yeah. And and did you have any initial thoughts on on the report itself? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the big things that I am trying not I guess anytime I read a report, I I think about like the biases that are inherent in the reports, like by who is creating the report and the questions because that obviously kind of creates a a direction for what they what their intent is and in trying to get information out and and their point of view in addition to just the 25,000 you know microcomp people and kind of what they believe so it is a community they they kind of i think align themselves in a certain set of beliefs but so i think that you know has its own biases so that's that's kind of where i my brain almost automatically sits whenever i read like a report like this in general so that yeah. might come up a couple times in this this episode as well yeah. yeah. And I think also when you, you aggregate the numbers too, sometimes you can kind of get led to believe things that aren't, they have a lot more nuance than you might, might initially think. Like we've got all these, these nice bar charts and it might suggest that the trend is in a certain way, but maybe the causation is actually somewhere else. Maybe it's just an association that you're seeing there. It's not necessarily something that you could reproduce just by looking at a single chart. Yeah, that's that's true. I think I think the team did a good job of rounding up a lot of that stuff and trying to at least they they did a nice job of pointing out their points of view and, and what they found. Mm -hmm. I think they have two opinions on each section. So as we go section by section, they have like a, what they expect, what fell in alignment with what they expected and, and sort of what surprised them and was was unexpected. So I think that was uh, that was a nice thing that they did in there too, to kind of give their cliff mm -hmm. notes version. Yeah. Well, should we dive in? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, I think we'll go through section by section. So the first section is called titled The Founders. And I'll read a little subset over there and then we'll go into some anything we found interesting in there. So 
This section, we took a look at the founders who run these SaaS companies, how many started each company, prior startups they've launched, and demographic information. So, Nate, why don't you go first? What did you find interesting in the founder section? So what I thought was kind of interesting was that a lot of people said that they had not started a prior company before. Like they have 39% of people said they hadn't started a company before. And I kind of was of the thought that a lot of people starting a company have tried many times. At least that's what I kind of expected. I'm not sure if there's there's some skew in the data there or something I'm not quite seeing. Yeah, that one's interesting. Um, I think I think what, what, what dawned on me kind of in a similar way, and maybe this this might change your mind a little, but it, it, I think a lot of it depends on the wording, right, of the question. And if this, what they have in this text is exactly the question, which is before founding your current company, did you start a prior company? Now, like with all of your startups, they, they've all been under your same quote unquote company or business organization. So they didn't ask like how many products you've started or how many like projects you've tried to create to get out there. So I'm wondering if that has some some gray area in how people answered without being clear on that. Yeah, yeah, and maybe this is more designed towards uh, like serial entrepreneurs who like like really put something out there and it actually went somewhere and then they, they're going to start a new company. Yeah, that's, that's possible, so. Hmm, interesting. The other thing that I thought was kind of neat was the the age representation. It seems that a lot of people are in the 30 to 49 year range. I would have expected that more younger people would be represented there. Ah, uh, yes. And then, so I am clearly in that, that, that other, the, I am actually in the, the second one, oh, sorry, sorry, like the 40 plus uh, demigration, just, just early 40s, but. No. But yeah, I think you're right. It was, uh, there are definitely, even for me, I would have the same opinion. I think there were a lot more older people than I would have expected. I didn't think I would be in the meat of the curve. I thought it would be just, yeah, just, I, I think I agree with you. I thought there'd be more in the, in like the 20 to 30 range. Yeah. And then one last thing that I kind of pulled out of here was the, the number of hours that people were working on the company per week. And I was surprised how many people were, were like diving all the way into the like 40 plus hours per week. I thought that it would be more part-time folks who were, who were doing it, but I guess, you know, maybe that's just mis misunderstanding. Yeah. That, that's where I start to get, this is where I start to kind of, I wouldn't say question the results, but start to think a bit more about the segmentation of these results, because it's, uh, what I do wonder is, you know, we talked about in episode four about all our whys and talked a lot about why you're starting and, and what your intents are and things like that. And I think that's a really important question in this founder profile area, which for me is like, you could also have a, you know, there, there are, we know some successful SaaS founders that, you know, might work less than 20 hours a week on their SaaS. And that is how they've designed their life. And I think a lot of people, especially in the microconf community, even strive for that. So, and it, they might be making a, you know, living wage or plenty of income and a certain amount is enough. And that, that isn't, that isn't colored in here correctly. Like, so I don't know how to read this where like you see less than 10 hours and that might be, that might mean successful. And then 50 hours might mean successful to someone else in a company building phase or because yeah. they actually have enough revenue to support themselves. So that that leaves me with some questions in that area and how I should read this. So, 
Yeah, totally. Totally. What, what were some things that you saw in this section? I mean, most of them I think you covered. I think you covered most of the highlights <laughs> that I was going to to mention. I mean, the only thing I would probably bring up again a little bit is the the selection bias aspect. The you know, you mentioned about you were I think you were surprised at what was it, the number of people that hadn't started a prior company before and I actually wasn't as surprised, I think, at that one, only because okay. MicroConf's target is also like startup founders and to grow without like VC. And I feel like you do get a lot of, a lot more people kind of side project or just looking to like adjunct their income, aren't necessarily looking to, to be a company necessarily. But so I think it might skew towards the earlier side, which I think kind of goes throughout a lot of the results I saw. Like there's a lot more skewing towards, towards earlier for me on this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting point. Cool. So maybe we'll move on to the next section, which is titled the company. So this section covers the companies themselves, including team size, funding, idea validation, and more. So maybe you should go first on this one, since I took all your points on the last one. <laughs> sure, I can do that. So uh, the first section, 2.1, which is, in addition to you, how many full-time or contract employees currently work at your company? So again, I am questioning the question to try to draw results from. So I saw that there's specifically, you know, that the entries are no or none, uh, sole employee, one to four, five to 19, 20 to 49, and 50 or more. So again, I'm thinking of the skewing of like earlier stage versus like later and more mature. But the other part that I don't think is in here, it specifically says employees and and full-time or contract employees. And I wonder how people classify different things like VAs or getting, you know, having consultants, like you might have a design consultant that helps you for different things. Like to me, I'm, if I was using those or, and currently we don't have a lot of contractors, it's all like full-time employees, but I don't know how to necessarily classify those. So it makes me wonder about the results a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any any thoughts on that? How would you classify them? Like I know in yours things, I think I don't think you've used any consultants or VAs or anything like that. I mean, aside from what we talked about pre this call, you said your 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 significant your spouse helps you with billing, but I think I don't I wouldn't call that yeah. quite a quite a, a VA or a anything like I have that. hired out a few things like on people per hour, that type of workplace. I, I wouldn't call them contract just because they're so the task size is so small, and I think as a as an early startup, you would probably use a lot more of that because you can't commit to hiring somebody on for you know a week at a time or something like that. You just sub out very small tasks. So I think that that is kind of missing here. But I think the the solo founder, I think that that to me is not really a surprise. I I think that a lot of people probably go that route. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right, and this also kind of goes back to one of my earlier statements on how are they, what is their goal? How are they designing their lifestyle? And for some people, just being the solo founder or two or three people is ideally what they want. So they don't want, and they, they don't want more employees and they would rather hire agencies to handle their marketing or, you know, hire yeah. fully hiring out other things. So I think a lot of that is lost on here. Like you don't get to really understand 
understand that because employee count is like yeah it's I, I guess they are be, being very accurate on this, but I do wonder about the other the other resources. So it could be sold a little odd, like hey, I'm the single man doing everything, and it's like technically you are, but you're also using a lot of other services, which is fine. So yeah, yeah. cool. So the next section is raising seed funding or raising funding. I thought that was interesting the way they grouped the stuff together. This again probably wasn't very surprising given given the crowd. Yeah, like the microconf community is pretty not in favor of funding. Right. I mean, that's strictly in their in their in their statement which is microconf's mission has been to help startup founders launch and grow without raising venture capital. So Yeah. But I think that they, they, they get into it a little bit further along, but I think funding has more meaning than just venture capital. I think they they put funding more broadly in terms of like, are you getting money from family or something like that as well? Yeah, I did find it interesting that how much was in the 100K to less than 500K range. I thought that was a broad range given the scope of that, but I'm sure they picked it for a reason. But Yeah, but it does kind of make sense. Like if you get over 100K, you're starting to like hire people with that money as opposed to like under hundred K feels like you're, you know, you're doing just a very small, small amount of push with that extra money. True. True. The plus hundred K you're right. It's like I could get an engineer to help me for a year and give me that sense of runway to like build this out. Yeah. Right. So onto that other section you brought up about founding teams, household resources. I thought this was a little strange. So this kind of, especially when glued with the top results about since your company's founding, how much outside funding you've raised. So it asked the outside funding question, but then the source of the funding, it seems strange to me that the founding team's household resources, like if that was inclusive of the outside, like I, that's the one result that I felt that was kind of odd. In there. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? the household resources like does that mean your spouse has a good job or something and they're putting in resources probably or would that fall under friends and or would that fall under friends and family i i would suspect that that you're more accurate with the other one i would think friends and family money which almost just has a like a term they call it friends and family money right like that it's actually yeah. usually investment or a loan or things like that but the founding team's household resources to me sounds more like what you were describing. Like my spouse is working and I'm taking the year off to kind of work on this startup. And that's kind of what is funding this. So, yeah. And, and hmm. I, I feel like the question they're really trying to get at is more of like, how do people get this off the ground? Like how do they find the time? Right. And I think that's probably a yeah. separate question other than this source of funding, which I feel like that's the outlier within the rest of the, the entries in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Okay. And let's see categories. Oh, so the company categories best described the idea. So this, yeah, this section is yeah, long. Like, <laughs> this one gets interesting. Like, do, you, do you have some things to share? You look like you're chomping at the bit for this. I am chomping at the bit. I love this one because this, this for me is kind of where it's at. It's like, where do I find the ideas? Right. And I, I thought it was really neat that there, of course there's the, I was experiencing the problem, which I think is, like a lot of people, like a lot of founders talk that way, right? Like I had this problem and then, but then the part where it said that my customers or my clients were experiencing this problem and that's like 25% or 22% of startups had that as a reason for starting. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting, like that you could use that, 
the client work that you might do during consulting or something as a well to find uh, startup ideas. Yeah. So have you found any in that, in that, in that area? And so I have, I, I've been keeping them under wraps a bit just because I haven't totally fleshed them out yet. But yeah, I've, I've had a number of things with clients that I've kind of been like, Hmm, that might be something. And I'm kind of waiting to see how they, how my client solution rolls out in order to figure out, you know, where I could position that. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. I think especially for this group, the a specific problem I was experiencing, I mean, I think that by far that makes sense. That's the biggest like area that most people are, are finding ideas. I mean, I think what do they call it? Like the, the scratch your own itch type of type yeah. of problem. I mean, that was the reason I started Ubernote. That was actually, that was not the reason I started referral rock. So that's a little bit of an, an outlier there. So where did referral rock fit in this? Um, actually, I Research? don't know. <laughs> Probably. I mean, it was a little bit more of uh, a serendipitous like moment, I would call it. <laughs> so other. Yeah, I, I probably would have checked other. So this this was not. Yeah, Referral Rock does not tell very much about this one. But although the the little I, I want to call it like kind reply or whatever I am to this outbound mm. stuff is that one was from experiencing a problem. I think a lot of other other things come from those. What about status lists? Where did that fall? Hmm. I think it was not so much a problem that my clients were facing, but something that my friends were facing. And I think I kind of took it off of that. And a part it was partly experienced in my day job too. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And what's funny is like you spend a lot of, I know you've mentioned before, you spend a good amount of time like researching or kind of like mm -hmm. you're in this like hunting for an idea phase. So it's it's a small percentage down there. It's just eight point two four percent of people, I think, just kind of doing research. It's not that your ears aren't open for these other things, but I think in your in your research phase of like looking for an idea. But I think that kind of goes together with something we had talked about offline before, which is that I think for a lot of people, their business ideas seem to kind of happen to them. Like they were having a problem and they're like, hmm, this is really annoying. I should start a business. As opposed to saying, I want to start a business. Let me find a problem. I think a lot of people just kind of, it comes to them as opposed to searching for it. Right. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree with that. Uh, the other one I found that was a little bit interesting in here that maybe worth talking about is this very small minuscule one, the smallest one on there, the 0.19%, which is I purchased this business. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's actually, interesting. yeah, I think that's a really interesting one that is, definitely probably not done enough. It's probably, again, to this this smaller group uh, or this the, the bias of this group here, probably because it is, you know, they're builders. Like they're, you know, you're, mm -hmm. we're all, most of, a lot of us are engineers or marketers and things like that. So, and we may not have the means to go, you know, purchase, purchase potential businesses. But quick short story, I did have a friend that in a, on a whim, I kind of saw like a, someone posting on a, I think it was a Y Combinator or it was like Hacker News type of thing about a business like for sale, I think. And yeah. he ended up buying it and he ended up buying that and essentially taking it so much further. I mean, he ended up with a, I would just say a, a large eight figure exit of sorts, nice. <laughs> but by paying in the maybe tens, tens of thousands of dollars for this 
this App Store app. He essentially went from like an Apple version and also added an Android version and then made a web version and had them all talking to each other. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe it'll be a topic for a different discussion, but I mean, he, he grind, grinded it out and turned it, but also didn't start from a cold start. Like they had some paying people, had mm-hmm. some distribution, some channels already established. And I think that could be a good option for a lot of people. That's definitely probably how I'd look at a next one is like looking for something that I think I can add a spin to or where a yeah. founder might've hit their limits. Yeah, I think that's definitely one to consider a bit further. I, I haven't thought about that very much, purchasing a business. So. Cool. Uh, I think another section we've talked a lot about on this podcast is validation. So did you have any interesting thoughts on this validation bar chart here? Yeah, I was amazed at how few people built a landing page first or, pre, or even pre-sold. Right, that was what um, less than five percent is built a land. They called a landing page smoke test. Yeah, and like ten percent of people pre-sold, and then basically everybody or a good chunk of people, thirty thirty-seven percent or so, built an MVP or a prototype. I just think that's that's incredible. I think that's a lot of people building a lot of code that possibly they didn't have to build and. You know, I've been there, so I can feel the I can feel the pain of <laughs> you've, that. You've 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 that that one's been burned into you a bit. So and and even the high percentage of I didn't validate before building seems pretty high. That's over fifteen percent. Like you didn't do yeah. any validation and you just got to building. And they had the choice of saying I built a prototype or MVP, and they, you know, maybe didn't check that. So yeah, what did you do with referral rock? Did you build a prototype? Uh, well, that was that kind of. MMVP thing I did with the Wufu form and that type of thing. So I would say that that was sort of the, the, the dovetail of like the, the prototype and MVP type of thing. Yeah. Um, so you kind of went the, the 37% with uh, those people. Uh, I mean, I think, and maybe, I don't know if this one is one of the ones where you can check multiple things. I did. I guess I, you know, I had a, I had a list of people that I emailed, so I didn't have an audience, so I wouldn't call it ask an audience. I guess I did do kind of like a landing page because I did get people to like, kind of sign up for it. So it's kind of a combination. Okay. So it's a little a little gray in how I would categorize this, but I definitely didn't pre-sell it. The pre-sold yeah. was is interesting to me. It kind of goes back to the whole episode five MMVP when we asked about what stuff is ethical and shady or not. And I, I'm, I'm on the fence with this one. I don't know. How do you feel about the pre-selling a product? I, I kind of thought the same thing as you. When I saw pre-sold on there, I right away thought scam, but I, I can see where there's like valid cases to do that. But yeah, it doesn't feel, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be good validation because someone has to give you money, but. I mean, yeah, you can't val, I mean, until someone takes out their wallet, it's hard to, oh yeah, I'd buy that. And it's like, would you, would you actually put your credit card in and give me your credit card? I mean, it's, it is a great way to validate. And I think most people don't charge them. I think mostly they might, they're, they're doing stuff like they're pre-charging the account or so that they can, I think you can do this in Stripe and things like that, like, and not actually collect the money or you have full intent on returning it if you don't end up building the product. And you're probably very clear about it. I think there's probably ethical ways to do it. But yeah, there's definitely some other shady ways to kind of do that as if they know it or not, if the end customer knows or not, is probably the key. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. So what about the last one of this section, uh, which is 
when did you land the first paying customer of your product or company? Yeah, I was amazed that there was people over a year because potentially these are these companies that are answering the survey are people who are either making money and it's working out for them or this is like a side project. I guess we kind of thought there might be some people on that camp, but there's a lot of people on one year plus. Like there, it shows here on the the track on the chart. We've got less yep. than a year, one to two, two to three, three to five, five to ten, more than ten. Right, and this one uh, less less than a year is less than twenty percent, and essentially the rest are a year plus. So that that was surpri- yes. that was surprising to you because you thought more people would be in the less than a year camp. Is that? Accurate. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a lot of like new companies in here just because of the 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 microconf world I figured would be more young startups. Right. Yeah, the 10 year plus I guess I don't know. It's it's I guess it's surprising and not like yeah, there's a good amount. There's less a little slightly less than 10% that is more than 10 years ago. So that's that's quite a long time in SaaS and these are probably more of that I hate the word lifestyle, but they've created a lifestyle for themselves more than likely. I don't know, but they've, yeah. they were happy to work their 10 hours a week and they have essentially, they've built a little niche product, not to insult them. It might be a big niche product, but uh, that, that is doing very well for them and, and that they have a great lifestyle about it. And they also are very like tied to this type of community. These are the right, these are their people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where, where does referral rock fit on this one? Let's see. First paying customer was in June of 2015. So that would be coming up on six years. So we would, wow, we'd okay. be in that, that last quadrant over there, which is just less than, it's like 23% or so, which is the five to 10 yeah. years, but just barely into it. Just like me, just barely into my 40s. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, I guess. So. You seem like a, you know, partially involved in microconf kind of guy, so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, so. Section three is pricing. In this section, we look at everything pricing, including topics like monthly versus annual, pricing tiers, free trials, and more. Do you want to get us started on this one? Sure. I guess looking at the first question about the pricing structure, that wasn't too surprising to me. Like monthly, most people are doing monthly or annual subscriptions. And I think that kind of makes sense based on the requirements to to enter in the survey. It's kind of interesting that there's metered and stuff like that. Like that sounds complicated in terms of billing. What do you think about the monthly annual split? I mean, I, I think for this group, it's probably about right. I th- I know I probably thought there was going to be a little more on the monthly side, but I guess this is one of the ones where you can, this is a pie chart. So you have to be in one or any one. You can't be in both. Cause for example, referral rock has monthly plans. We have annual plans. We actually even have six month plans. So I actually wouldn't know what to check for this one because this one is not a like, do you offer monthly and do you also offer annual? It's kind of mm-hmm. interesting that it's like, I'd have to probably see exactly how they asked it to to, to understand better uh, how it, but the way they're drawing up the graph, it's like, it's a you know single selection. You pick one out of all of these. Yeah. And I, and I think to choose between monthly and annually, there's a good talk. I think is it Jason... Jason from Smart Bear was talking about getting people on annual pricing. Jason Cohen. There you go. Yeah. That's a good talk. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on the pricing structure one? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, I think the annual thing you, you brought up that one is a good thing. It's definitely for the non funded or non VC backed. It's interesting because it's, 
a huge lever for cash flow, being able to charge annual. One of the other points that were made in here that I was a little more surprised at is the setup fee. So we also do kind of a setup fee thing, and we also waive the setup fee if you sign up for an annual. So we do things a little differently. So it's like if you sign up for an annual, we waive the setup fee at Referral Rock. So it kind of incentivizes right. people to do that. And also we get technically more at-bats with them. So if it takes longer for someone to get ramped up, they're not just going to quit after a month. They've kind of committed mm -hmm. committed a bit uh, a bit more. But like yeah. I said, I was surprised that 25% do charge a setup fee. Because in, in my meanderings, I feel like it's a, a rare thing to see the setup fee. I always thought it was a it's, a, it's definitely a good growth lever that I feel like is underutilized, but I was surprised to see 25% here. Like a surprise that it's so small, you would have thought it'd be larger. Oh no, actually I was surprised it was that high. So I, I thought okay. I thought I thought it was one of those things less people did and less people knew about. I think it's a good I think it's a good lever. So, so. Yeah. And it, and it intuitively makes sense, right? Like you're trading you're trading value to the customer by getting them set up like, you know, bringing all their data in or something like that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a really good win-win because one if you're doing a setup fee, you're at least getting paid for your time and the tire kickers, you can kind of kick, not kick, but you can kind of <laughs> make a, make it a little easier. And essentially you're incentivized anyway to help them because if, if you get them on board, the likelihood they're staying on is even higher. So you're kind of, yeah. you're, you're, it's a double win for the business. It's a bigger hurdle for the customer because they're paying a little bit more, but I think the right customers, it'll help filter out the right customers from the, the ones that may waste your time. Sign up for an app, sign up for a monthly, burn your time with three calls and then quit when they don't get results. It's like, uh, yeah, that was just an incredible waste of time that I just worked for $5 an hour. So, yeah. Yeah. I uh, thought the, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go. I, I thought the pricing plan one was interesting that there's so many people in the one to $29 camp. I think that that kind of points to me either that these respondents are selling like smaller products or a lot of people have like very entry level things that they're, they're trying to sell or like consumer products or something like that. I would have thought that it would be higher. Yeah. I mean, it does say this is the pricing plan for your base. So some of them are based like the meter type of stuff, like you're just pay mm -hmm. for usage type of thing, but also or lowest co lowest cost. So this doesn't tell the range or the average cost. So they're just their their entry level plan might be twenty five dollars or ten dollars, but it might be maybe it's also ten dollars per like seat. So something like something like a help right. desk software, it might be ten or fifteen dollars a seat, which is normal and relatively reasonable and seems low, but at the same time you're buying packs of five seats or, or you're at, you know, they might start with one seat, but then their average customer has 10 seats. So it may not be indicative mm -hmm. exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. My last point around the pricing overall is I, th I thought this was interesting how much time they spent and how many charts were related to this, this topic that keeps coming up across this, which is like, they, they're trying to figure out, I think, you know, free trial, free forever versus, mm -hmm. and, and free trials, do you require a credit card? Do you not require a credit card? I think these questions come up, I know in this section a good amount, and I believe in another section. And for me, I, I maybe I just, I never have any questions on that. I'm, 
I think I'm clearly in one camp, <laughs> which is like yeah. no no credit card required. I never see the reason to put the credit card as an end user. I kind of almost like mm-hmm. gawk, and it's definitely a stopping point. Even if I'm a serious buyer, I'm like, I don't want to put my credit card in. I just feel like I'm not sure what's going to quite happen with this, and I don't trust it. Yeah, so. and I think even on the last uh, like last year's report, the the outcomes in terms of like revenue for people with credit cards versus not was pretty much equal. Like there wasn't much of a difference. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. So, so I feel like they're that this survey or this state of independent SaaS is kind of hovering a lot around this question. It feels like maybe this is a question that they have internally or they internally struggle with or don't have clear answers and they're trying to get more on it. But so I kind of almost glazed over those sections (laughs) personally. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't really struggled too much with that. I have tested both ways when I did with my status list outside of the Heroku store, and I found that putting the credit card was like an immediate stopper. Like if I put it bef- during the free trial, if I put it before the the point of upgrade, that basically would just people would just fall right off right there. Right, right. I think people do think kind of like I was saying about the 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 filtering the tire kickers and that type of stuff away. I mean, I think that's that's probably the strong argument why people would do that. But mm-hmm. I also think you might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater at times too. So, Yeah. Well, that's all for today's episode. Be sure to check back with us next week for the rest of our discussion on the state of independent SaaS 2021. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share with a friend. We're new to this podcasting thing, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Tweet us at Searching for SAS on Twitter. That's Searching, the number four, SAS. Or send an email to searchingforsass at gmail.com. See you next week.